Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Dun, 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 dun. Ladies and gentlemen and gentle queers, it is the fucking moment you've all been waiting for. The fucking moment you've all been waiting for. For the past month, this bitch has been out lollygagging around and she's finally making her way back to the podcast, guys. Oh, it's been a long time coming, but everyone, guess who's back? Back again. Shady's back. Tell a friend. Here he is, Roger. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Oh, that fanfare. I told Troy, I said, if you don't give me trumpets, I'm not coming. I'm not coming. I've only been gone for a month, but it feels like seven years. I swear to God. I feel like I've been gone forever. I feel physically more exhausted. I feel I feel a lot of things, but God, I... I you know, I'll say last night, Troy and I recorded our first Patreon uh, in a month, and it was nice to get the fucking shoes back on and take off running. Let me tell you, I missed it, and I missed you. I missed you, too. And yeah, we dived right in and got that Patreon episode done. Speaking of Patreon, we have 60 episodes, Roger. 60. 60. Yeah, if you guys have been, you know... Enjoying our show and want to hear extra stuff, it's up on the Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash dark night of the podcast. We're being pretty consistent. But yeah, that was our that was our first reunion back after a month. You know, I've missed you, but it also gave me an opportunity to have some great guests on. Oh my god. I yeah. gotta, some of your guests. No, I gotta thank the trio of Chris's that I had. And then Aaron, of course, Aaron Gilmer from Manic Monday Movie Podcast. She came on and we just talked about night school, which was a blast and a female perspective on that. Uh, so guys, hopefully, even though in Roger's absence, hopefully you still continued to listen and really found some enjoyment in the episodes we did and the guests I brought on. We, I think we really picked some some titles, Roger, that I don't think me and you ever probably would have picked. No, no. And you know what I really like about uh, the people that you chose, the guests that you chose to come on, um, is a, a good amount of these are people who I know that listen to our show. And I really think how cool that you kind of just reached out to some of our fan base. Like, you got some really awesome, you know, people we've worked with and so forth, like, you know, Chris Jenner having worked together on Teacher Shortage. Like, the people have wanted him to come back. I know it was a comment that has been made by a few of our listeners bring him back because he was so good on one of our earliest episodes. One of our, I think he was our first guest, was he yeah, not? Yeah, we did Sleepaway Camp. He was. Yeah. 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 First guest. But, but, you know, the fact that we like, I know like Aaron uh, has been a supporter from day one. Like, of course, bring her on. Bring her the fuck on. Like, let's, let's hear her talk about horror because she's a supporter. She knows the genre. Um, I can't wait to sit down and get to listen to that episode. As our listeners, I'm sure, are aware, I just got back after filming a large majority of my film meet, which fucking happened. I'm exhausted. And it was so exhausting that I actually developed early onset of pneumonia after the fact. So I have been ill. So please be patient with me. I do sound like what I imagine uh, if a corn husk had a voice. 
<laughs> I feel like it would sound like me, uh, but here I am. Um, and I'm, I'm ready to jump back in the pool because, you know, some of these guests, you guys had so much fun talking about some great fucking titles. And you're right. You guys kind of just reached out into the atmosphere and grabbed some random shit that I never would have thought of. And that makes it all the more exciting to sit down and listen to these. Yeah, no, it was good. It was good. I was I was t- a tad nervous, really, going into it. But um, the guests were great. They had gr- We had great just great conversations about these films and a few hidden gems. Yeah. Terror track one that, you know, does not get talked about a lot at all. But then when I posted that we had covered it, all these people come out and say, Oh yeah, that's a, so that's just an underrated gem. So a night school one that I, gosh, I hadn't seen that forever. And Aaron picked that one. And I'm glad she did because there's this huge, like feminist perspective tint to the film and she was like the perfect person to, to come on and of course chris moore from homos on haunted hill he's always great uh fellow fellow filmmaker and we had a blast talking about um fucking uh sleepaway camp three and that fucking what's michael j pollard <laughs> seducing the big breasted women in that film how i don't know <laughs> but speaking of uh, films with big breasted women <laughs> I mean, yeah what a, what a beautiful segue a beautiful segue into a title that I think a lot of our listeners are going to be titillated <laughs> when they when they find out what we're talking about today. And this one's all on Troy. I said, Troy, welcome me back with a good one. And he absolutely fucking delivered. Um, and, and I mean, I'll say if I, I think if there's a top 10 movies that across the board, when you, if you listen to a horror movie podcast, and you're going to say, what are the top 10 movies I want to hear this podcast talk about? I assure you that this title is going to fall in the top 10, uh, regardless of the podcast. If you're covering horror movies, the fans are going to want to hear you talk about this one. It's such a, it's such a staple. It's such a, like a, a landmark movie in its own right, even though it's fucking bonkers, batshit, crazy nonsense. It's such a fun flick, and I think it has a diehard fan base for a reason. Um, and the fact that you picked this one, I can't think of a better time as we segue from my re- grand return to what is going to be a very busy couple of weeks for us as we gear up for the Houston Horror Film Festival. So we definitely need to make sure to hook our new listeners with some great material as we get ready for that. And this title, I think, is the right call, Troy. Yeah, that's coming up quick. Uh, it's coming up in uh, August here, August 11th through the 13th. We are... Of course, in in Houston for that weekend for the Houston Horror Film Festival, which, uh, of course, I'm I'm part of. Roger has has joined the kind of the little cohort, and and we 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 host panels and whatnot. But uh, I am mainly responsible for actually the film screenings of the Houston Horror Film Festival. So while Roger has been busy filming meat and whatnot, I have been eyeballs deep into watching every submitted film that we've had this year, which we're breaking records in terms of the numbers of films we've had submitted this year, especially feature films. For some reason in the past, feature films seem to be the the ones that we really don't get a, a hefty amount of, um, short tons. But this year it's kind of, we're getting, we have a lot of features. So, and I feel it's my responsibility since I'm in charge of the film festival and I kind of run it all, all weekend that I have to, that I watch every film. I mean, we have judges, as well, it's not just me. It's I don't make the decisions. We have judges, but I will tell you, I've been knee eyeballs deep in watching films. I mean, for the past five days, literally from the moment I'm up until the time I go to bed, I am watching submissions. Roger knows this. Tony knows every. I just because I I feel like I need to watch all of them. I, I owe that to the filmmakers who submit, and we got some great ones. Our notification date is coming up here real quick. 
So yeah, that's, that's been my life. So it's been that uh, and the podcast and I did have, uh, make time for a little road trip, which was, which was a lot of fun, but yeah, things are getting fucking serious. And yeah, this film, Roger, I think you're right. It is one that is kind of a staple in, in the horror annals. And, you know, I remember it from a kid from the VHS days because it has that very memorable VHS box art of the shopping bag you know, with the arm and, and, and legs and whatnot coming out of the bag and the blood and all that stuff. And of course, we're talking about none other than Chopping Mall, a.k.a. Killbots, which I personally feel is a better title for the film. Chopping Mall to me, especially when I was a kid and I saw the, the VHS cover art and I saw the tagline where it's like shopping cost you an arm and a leg. My insinuation was the film was about like a killer in a shopping mall, like Eric's Revenge, but it's not. It's it's not really even, I don't know, Roger, would you call this a slasher film? You know, I think it kind of starts in a way that you th- you're anticipating it's going to go that direction. Um, I wouldn't say that it maintains it, um, which, you know, for better and for worse. You know, in some ways, one of the reasons this, this movie is held up as much as it has is because... <laughs> the outcome of what the, the villains are, which are these fucking goddamn protectors, is I have a strange amount of spunked personality that I would never anticipate from killer robots to begin with. They're always given like sassy glares, cracking one-liners, even though their monotone voices really don't have the ability to show, actually have expression they still manage to somehow. And, and uh, yeah, I think that the robots are both like the highlight of the movie, but also kind of like the Achilles heel. Because unfortunately... This movie is never able to become something that's ever remotely scary. <laughs> like, I mean, like, let's be real. This movie, it is not a, a scary film whatsoever, but what it is, is a very entertaining one. So, yeah, while the title is definitely, um, I think it, the title alludes to an experience you don't necessarily get from this. What you do get from it is still something very memorable. And that's why, like I said at the beginning of this episode, this is a, like a hot title for fans. This movie has such a fan base. They want to hear people talk about it. They want to hear you bring up the standout moments, the exploding heads, the women being set on fire. You know, there's things to discuss in this movie that are very uh, memorable for fans of the genre. And I think there's a good reason for that. Yeah. And also we have to acknowledge it's, it's pretty, it's a lean, mean film. And by that, I mean, this film is brisk. It, it, it clocks in at barely over 75 minutes. So the pacing of this film is spot on. And I think that that's one of the things that makes this film so accessible and entertaining is that it never wears out its welcome. The This film could, as you mentioned, the robots could become quite, I don't know, you could get over them real quick, you know, but the film never, never overstays its welcome. Scenes move along at a brisk pace. Once the cast starts being killed off, I mean, it's, it's nonstop action. I mean, I, I tend to f- maybe put this in a, under the umbrella of not necessarily a slasher film, but a horror action film, because I mean, you're getting guns, you're getting explosions, you're getting, you're not getting chopping. There's not a lot of chopping that's going on in this, in this film. These robots, they're electrocuting people, they're blowing people's heads off. Yeah. So this film, again, my, my first impression of it as a kid was that, was that box art. And of course, as a kid in a VHS store, you're, you're wanting to watch this. And I do remember like the first time seeing this actually being a little disappointed that it was robots. Now looking back on it. Yeah, it's, it's a hoot. It's a hoot. And of course we're talking about chopping mall if you haven't figured it out. So yeah, we're going to get right into discussing 
shopping mall. Roger, are you ready? I am. I am. You know, uh, Troy, I, I, I'm very excited you picked this one because I'll say the last time I looked at this title, it's uh, it's been years. You know, I feel like this is one of those movies a lot of people like to sit down and watch it kind of religiously. Like, it has such a hook factor, but somehow I've like kind of evaded it. And um, shame on me for doing so. But it did make for this like revisit to be something kind of fresh and fun and... and uh, there are moments I forgot. There are things that happened I kind of forgot about. I was taken by surprise again. So I am really happy that you picked this movie. I think that, you know, one thing that catches me right off the bat revisiting this film is when you look, you sit down, you look at the cast of characters. You know, we always like to sit down and dissect the characters that are presented for us and whether or not they're likable, if they're, you know, well played, how they're handled. The way this film is structured from the get go, I can't tell who the lead of this movie is until the final five minutes of this film. And for me, that's kind of kind of um, an issue. Um, you know, it ends up being that it's Kelly Maroney. God love her. I've never seen her look worse in a movie. Um, if I were Kelly Maroney, I would, I would specifically be hunting down the costume and makeup and hair team that put together my look for this movie because uh, I'm not left in a good light, which is a shame. She's a lovely girl, but she looks aggered and tired, especially up against one Barbara Crompton, who is always just radiating light. I mean, Barbara Crampton is stunning in this movie. Kelly Maroney is not. And this is not any of her fault. I love Kelly Maroney, but come on. No, we we love Kelly Maroney. It's just the the styling. Yeah, the styling in this film, I know what they were going for. I know exactly what they were going for with her. It's sort of the Jamie Lee Curtis syndrome, right? The final girl that has to be the... the uh, the, the the dopier one. I don't even know if that's the right word, but you have her compared to, yes, one Barbara Crampton and one Susie Big Jugs Snyder, who are both stunning, uh, stunning blondes. And, and I think that, you know, she is supposed to be the, the, the Kelly Maroney character. Allison is supposed to be like the outcast, kind of the, I don't want to say like the dork. Let's just throw that out there. You know, because even at the beginning of the film, you don't get a lot of character development in this film. Let's also put that out there right away. But even at the beginning, it's hinted at that that Barbara Campton's character is trying to convince Allison that she has to come to this party because she has no friends. So I get it. They were trying to make her look dour. But come on, that hair, oh my God. those that those jeans, <laughs> love her to death. <laughs> I much prefer in a cheerleader's costume in Nine of the Comics. Oh my god. Needed. They're not doing her any fucking favors in this goddamn movie, this poor girl. And you're right, like the character development in this, this film is absurdly thin. It's because it's such a short movie, but like, you know, we recently watched another movie set in a mall, and I kind of almost questioned whether or not it was the same mall that this was happening in, which was which is Eric's Revenge. You know, Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. And say what you want about Eric's Revenge, but at least that movie gives you some context as to why people are acting the way they're acting and doing the things they're doing in this movie. I mean, you've got character tonal shifts that happen like out of fucking nowhere. Barbara Crampton, Susie, goes from being rather likable and endearing to the most obnoxious hateable character I've ever seen in a horror film. She's so annoying for the last five minutes of her existence in this film comes out of nowhere. And I do think that the writing here is, you know, I, I get it. They're trying to keep it tight. They're trying to get it to move fast. But in this movie, when you compare it to an Eric's revenge, there are supporting characters in Eric's revenge that get more focus than the major characters do here. I mean, you know, in Eric's revenge, you got the owner of the mall. You've got the mayoress, you know, characters who are secondary, but still manage to kind of step up and have a, 
a prominent purpose in the, in the plot and, and why things are the way they are and why things are moving the way they're moving. In this, you don't have any of that. You're briefly introduced to some characters that you think maybe are going to have a little bit more of a focus, like you get in this very opening scene right here. They never come back. They're never focused on. The only characters that do receive any focus at all are the teenagers. And again, full circle, they're horribly underwritten. So it, it does make for a film in which I really don't care about the outcome. I don't care about any of these people. They are all disposable to me. Well, yes. Let's get into this opening scene. The film wastes no time kind of giving you the the, the basic plot line. Like, what, what are we watching? And it opens with a a man breaking into a jewelry store and stealing some jewelry inside this mall. And on the way out of this mall, he is, of course, stopped by this robot. These robots are very, they're all built to look exactly the same. That basically tells him to stop. And of course, the robber does not stop. He takes off running and this robot shoots at him. And you literally get the scene of this man running through this mall as this robot is in full speed pursuit, just shooting this poor guy until he Hits him with, I guess it's a sleep dart is what it's 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 said, but this guy looks dead. I mean, he falls. <laughs> Who's approving these things? Who's approving? What, what government <laughs> office said this is okay to sick these things after people? I'm also in awe of the fact that these things move a breezy 10 miles an hour, uh, yet manage to always capture their perpetrator. Like, I don't understand... Overall, the how these things work, the mechanics of these things is one of my biggest issues of the movie because they are inconsistent to say the least, Troy. Like these things, the protector's abilities are all over the place. They go from blowing up heads and sawing through metal doors to at certain points they can't even get through wood. Um, certain times they're they're shooting <laughs> laser beams out and hitting people, and people aren't even affected by them, and all of a sudden. Five seconds later, they're setting a woman on fire. Like, I I don't know <laughs> how powerful these things are. They keep busting things out that I do not anticipate. Like, they keep you on your toes. I'll say that. But I couldn't sit down and tell you, Troy, if you're going to ask me, like, describe the protectors and what their abilities are, I'd be like, they could do everything. <laughs> they probably got hoses in them. Like, things that we haven't even seen. They probably have little cannons. I mean, they definitely have at least seven varieties of lasers because they're able to fire those purple lasers out and blow people's arms up. They're able to shoot that little laser through metal doors and cut holes through it. I mean, like, I, I can't even tell you what these things are actually designed to do. <laughs> like, I'm not sure, but they're out to stop they're they're nemesis no matter what. Well, that's because you're like Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. Bland. You're not listening. You are not listening to the presentation, Roger. If you if you shut up and listen to to Doctor uh, Stan St Simon to, to describe what these robots are for, maybe you would learn something because that's what this is. It ends up being a video presentation that this doctor is giving is giving to the to the mall. Are these mall employees or are they just like random customers <laughs> that are sitting here? What? That's definitely a gay man and his and his female best friend like that. That gay yeah. and that woman are over it. And again, examples of characters that should have come back. You know who that's? It's Paul Bartel and Mary Warnoff um, from Eating Raul. And then, of course, Mary Warnoff, we know her from uh, House of the Devil. House of the Devil. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, horror icons, but yes, what I, I, my, I'm so confused of what, what their place in this film is supposed to be like. They're making wisecracks during the presentation. Like he makes this awful comment about how, like she says, oh, they look like the three stooges. And he's like, well, no, that second one has a unpleasant ethnic look to it. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Okay. 
definitely a little <laughs> off color. Um, again, definitely supposed to be a homosexual in his female cohort. Like, I, I can't get over how gay this man is. And she's just glaring at him. They're just judging everything. I love them. I wish they came back. Well, in the credits, they're they're, they're uh, credited as Mrs., Mr. Bland and Mrs. Bland. So either their brother or sister, he's the gay brother, or they're supposed to be married. But yeah, he's a flaming homosexual. That's a beard if ever I've seen one. Like, come on now. There's no way those two are married unless it's just for benefits and benefits only. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think that this scene is a perfect example of one of my gripes with it the movie in general, because you're absolutely correct. Not only do these two get a moment, but like they're cracking jokes. They're funny. I really anticipated them to be like major supporting characters. You never see them again. And then like you mentioned, the doctor that's giving the speech and the, the, the fair little blonde pixie woman that comes up and introduces him, who I also thought she was going to die at some point. You know, she's not Morgan Fairchild, but they're sure trying to give us a Morgan Fairchild (laughs) moment with all these blondes on stage. Uh, But like, I was really, I was anticipating all of these characters kind of being woven into the storyline and it's set up in such a, a, in a simple way to do so. Like, I mean, come on, it's the fucking doctor behind the creation of these things absolutely deserves to die. Why wouldn't he be a plot point in the story? And they just never ever revisit any of these people. And it does feel like a wasted opportunity. Well, the doctor, this doctor is explaining that these are the new mall security guards uh there's three of them protector one protector two protector three uh and they are going to be securing the mall to make this this mall um the park plaza mall the most safe and secure mall in the state uh and of course some of the the audience members these viewers are are concerned about like what about like people that work late in the mall and he's explains oh well look he turns one of them on and each mall employee is apparently given a, a badge that that you show to this robot that lets it know that you actually belong in the mall. So that's fine. Uh, Mrs. Bland stands up and she's like, these things seem awfully violent. If they're protectors, who are they protecting? Cause that guy looks pretty dead. And he's like, Oh no, they don't kill. They just detain with a sleep dart. <laughs> so you're letting robots that, that have darts in them just roam around the mall. I, I, I don't know. I don't know in, in what world this is a good idea. If they're winning, then why are they blasting lasers out of their faces? Like, how is it even part of what's being offered you? <laughs> why do they have lasers? I don't understand. Why do they... Uh, Troy, I, the, the badges. I got to touch on the badges because so quickly this goes awry. <laughs> I mean, like, the badges, you're telling me, like, I'm an employee. I walk in. I forgot my badge. Are you telling me that I'm going to be sleep darted and detained simply for not having a badge? I mean, like, there's got to be a another, like, an alternate method of proving my identity before these things just fucking kill me. And then, I mean, come on. And another thing to acknowledge, not only do they have these fucking robots roaming around, they also have these gigantic fucking metal <laughs> security doors that look straight off of the Rancor Pit from Return of the Jedi, where these doors just <laughs> massive doors that look like they're from the year 3047 shutting and closing and people look around like those are normal like come on this is is this not supposed to be 1980 what 1984 like what are these doors doing in here <laughs> like uh, was it was it a, was it a pa- i don't know is it supposed to be a package deal that what the robots come with the doors i mean the design and- alone like come on those the design of those doors is so aggressive <laughs> well he he assures the the audience that 
Park Place Mall is going to be the safest mall in the country, and absolutely nothing can go wrong. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) These things being introduced to the public, something goes wrong. Just to make sure listeners are on the same page, how quickly this goes awry, Troy, is problematic. It did not take much for these things to become sentient. I'll say that right now. It took some lightning. <laughs> some really well-placed lightning attacks. Like, like this lightning that's happening that nobody's acknowledging, by the way, it goes on for like 20 minutes. And it's like, the, I mean, like the city is being ravaged by lightning. <laughs> like it's striking everywhere. Oh, well, okay. Can we now talk about this opening credit montage? <laughs> this child that gets trampled by this crowd. <laughs> with this ice cream. In the elevator, who's getting suffocated against the wall with his ice cream cone. Yeah, these credits are very of the era. There's some some wonky, funny, fast-forward sequences, but it definitely sets the tone of what's to come. I want to know, why are there broads parade through the mall <laughs> in bikinis? <laughs> Troy, this mall's got... Everything. So much is happening in these opening credits, I can't keep up. You've got adults fighting children over arcade games. you got a full-on bikini pageant happening on the one floor. you got infants on skateboards, casual collapsing in elevators. you got that Ellen DeGeneres-looking woman who's living in fear as she tries to navigate through that fucking... That goddamn cafeteria. That poor woman holding a tray that's much too full. Like, there's like 25 Diet Cokes on this tray. <laughs> She's trembling. She finally makes it to the table. Of course, she spills it all over people. How could she not? You got babies on skateboards rolling by her. <laughs> oh my god, that poor woman. <laughs> yeah, they make it. They make it a huge ordeal of of her walking through this food court with this train. People are trying to bump into her. She she's getting fr- the crowd pushing her all around. If she's struggling <laughs> with that tray, <laughs> I don't know. I, don't know. I just want to know why this mall has women in, in thong bikinis parading around. Unacceptable. For the children. Think of the children. Oh, my God. These women. And that guy on the escalator just gawking at all of them as he comedically collapses. We can't have dry queens, but we can have women in, in, bikini, in thong bikinis with their bosoms hanging out. We can have them parading up and down the mall. And they have, they're wearing sashes that are like, oh, furniture Who sale. Active, who picked an active mall for this event to take place? Like, oh, okay, we're having the Miss, I don't know, Miss Bloomfield 1984 pageant. Let's, let's pick the shopping mall at 2 p.m. on a Sunday and have everybody there uh, while all these broads are strutting all around with their cheeks hanging out. Is this what happened in the 80s? What year was this, Troy? What was this? 1984, was I it? I think this came out in 86. Okay, my, uh, my year of birth. Okay, that explains yeah. a lot. Things have changed. <laughs> uh, yeah, 1986 it came out, yes. Um, well, yeah, so we get we get a lot of going on <laughs> in this mall. This is a happening. It's, you know, it, it, but it really is. It's I think we had this conversation in the our Phantom of the Mall episode, too, that, you know, it, it just it, it harkens back to days when malls used to be important they used to be the place to go you know when i was a teenager in the 90s yeah it was the place to be like that's what we would do on the weekends go to the mall and there was all kinds of shit to do and see unfortunately now malls have become sort of uh you know almost obsolete with online shopping and big box stores so it does it it was a little bit nostalgic um you know seeing some of this take place because it does make you remember the the days when malls were like a destination Right. Yeah. Even even for bikini pageants, apparently. Um, 
and this child, yes, this child with the ice. Where's this child's parents? He's on this elevator by himself with this giant fucking ice cream cone. The whole people come in and trample this poor kid. And when they leave, he's like, he's just standing there with ice cream. Where's his parents? I thought he was going to be the first victim of the movie. I mean, I seriously thought that they were going to walk out of that elevator and his remains were going to be pressed against the glass in comedic style. But he survives it. Um, this whole place is just out of fucking control. There's way too much happening at this mall. There's, they go to this diner, the, the the diner where the two two of the female leads work. You got uh, Susie, Barbara Crampton, and then you got Allison, which is the 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 dower. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely just just frumpy and unpleasant looking Kelly Maroney with that horrible hair. Um, and they work at this goddamn diner. And, you know, you think the mall is bad, Troy? This place, this diner looks unsanitary. This man's shirt caked, caked with what appears to be crusted mud all over his chest. This place looks disgusting. He's smoking a cigarette while making the food, like right over the food, just smoking the cigarette. I'm wondering if this is the restaurant that Mr. and Mrs. Bland are supposed to own, because if you remember in the opening, he said something about, oh, maybe we should get some of these robots for the restaurant. So I wonder if that was insinuating that they own this place. But if they do, they're not doing a very good fucking job because, yeah, this cook is is disgusting. Okay, you got this morbidly obese man in the corner with literally 12, 12 cinnamon rolls piled on a plate eating butter just eating butter <laughs> just asking more butter waitress like just i bet you he's just putting the sticks of butter on his tongue and eating them oh my god but yeah you you get a little bit of i mean i would say that uh and it's 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 slim it's slim pickings here but whew, I would say maybe Kelly Maroney and Barbara Crampton are the most, I don't even want to say it, fleshed out characters because you are right. The uh, Barbara Crampton's character takes a huge turn in, in, in the film. You know, she's introduced in this scene as being very like uh, bubbly, outgoing, you know, she, she's fun loving. She is assertive. You know, she's telling Allison, oh, you better watch that beach whale over there because he's he's very handsy. She's just, she's just fun, a fun loving character. You, you love her right away. You get a little bit of dialogue to kind of know that there's something going on that evening that the, the Susie character is trying to convince Allison that she needs to come to. And Allison's like, I don't know. I don't know anybody. And Susie mentions that she's going to hook her up with somebody. Uh, as a kind of a blind date. That's all you get. That's all you get with these two. It's, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I wish we could have spent a little bit more time with the characters because I think of another film that's very similar in premise that's not Eric's Revenge, but I'm thinking specifically of Hide and Go Shriek, um, which takes place in a furniture store. I uh, so does so does this one. It just happens to be in a mall. But, you know, you you spend a lot of time with those characters and you get to know them. There, some of them emerge as being more likable than others, but you get to know the characters. And this one, you really, you don't. Uh, and just when you think you could maybe get to get some nice character development, the character's killed off. Well, and then the thing that really irks me about that, what you just said, Troy, is it's not like this movie didn't have the running time to accommodate it. Like, it's like a breezy like, hour and 15 minutes. Like, this movie is short it moves really fast to the to the to the point that it almost in some points feels like it's skimming past plot points like it could have used i would say another eight minutes of just exposition character development and setup 
Um, you know, sometimes we talk about it being a benefit when a movie has a fast pace. I think this one moves too quickly at times. Um, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, like, let's be real. It's about killer robots in a shopping mall. Does it need to make sense? Not necessarily, but still, like, if you're going to explain away these things coming to life by being hit by lightning bolts, like, come on, at least throw me something here. Like, I am... I, I have a brain that's capable of understanding more information than you are handling to me. Come on now. Okay. And okay. So can we, we're going to move into this scene because this scene when the robots or when they're, they're hub, I guess, which is on the roof. Uh, why would the fuck would you put a hub on the roof in the beginning? Don't, Poorly designed. Don't you think it would be secured somewhere? But it's on the roof. It gets struck by lightning. Okay. And yes, this lightning uh, storm is intense, but nobody seems to care. Nobody seems to notice. It starts an electrical fire, and it, apparently, it causes the robots to malfunction. My question is, okay, because okay, the robots malfunction. We cut to a security guy, Marty. He is in his security office looking at a Playboy magazine, as you do, I guess, as a straight man. You know, he pulls out the centerfold. the The protectors are all lined up behind him. And as he's looking at the play, the magazine, the centerfold, all of a sudden one comes to life and like shoots its hand through the magazine. And it goes into his neck and, and kills him. I mean, it rips his throat out pretty much. My question is like, so the lightning caused them to malfunction and the malfunction causes them to immediately just kill everybody. People that are just like sitting there, like. Uh, you would think the malfunction would be more along the lines of what we see later in the film where, okay, there's people walking around the mall. These things come to life. They're like, hey, where are you supposed to? They just kill some random dude sitting there looking at a Playboy Girl magazine. It's like right away, it's setting up kind of this wonky premise of, okay, these things malfunction to become killers, but it's really not in line with like, oh, they're trying to really protect the mall and their malfunction is that they don't understand that these people that are in the mall belong there. They're just they kill the first person they see by ripping his throat out. I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. It's too simple. I mean, it really, it, it's too fucking simple. Everything in that opening sequence, all that exposition's thrown out the fucking window. And, mm -hmm. you know, and again, I'm going to reiterate, like, this is a movie about fucking killer robots in a shopping mall. Like, I, I don't need to have lofty expectations, but I mean, at least challenge me a little bit like what you're saying troy here like i mean if there's something and if they at least incorporated the badges and had the ballad the badges have some form of like override ability or something like there is nothing at all that's been presented in the setup here that it can be used to stop these things they are now just bloodthirsty killers with a lust for murder and it cannot be quenched no matter who you are no matter what you're doing and it's like instantaneous and I guess like one of the letdown aspects of all of this is with it being such a simple premise, a simple setup for why these things do what they do, it's literally a matter of lightning bolts hitting the fucking hub that nobody acknowledges. Like, again, this lightning storm is insane. No one says a fucking word about it. No one notices it. Nobody cares. If this is going to be the setup, like, at least like give me like a little bit of like slow burn suspense with it or something like where the things start coming to and you start to realize that they're apparently sentient and can make choices for themselves. And, you know, it, it literally, it goes from zero to 60 so fucking fast that you're trying to kind of catch up and figure out exactly what just happened. Cause you're right. You're maybe 10 minutes into the movie. This fucking security guard's already dead. It's a cool effect with the claw coming through the fucking knocker of the porno magazine and 
busting his throat out, but it's so fast. You're like, wait, why did this thing just do that? Like, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what motivated this shift. That's yeah. That's my point. That's my point. I, I understand the deaths that follow this particular one because they, they fall into line with, Oh, the, 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 the robots think that people are in the mall unauthorized. Right. But this one doesn't make sense either. Does the next one that we get, but we'll, we'll get there because now we are introduced to the three guys um, that work at this furniture store that are setting this up. We got Mike and Greg. Okay. Mike with his fabulous eighties feathered hair. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then we have Ferdy. Ferdy? Ferdy. I don't, that's his name. Fergie. I have a Fergalicious girl. <laughs> Fergalicious girl. I kept singing it to myself the whole time. I I found it three different spellings of it online. I found Furby, like the little small plush. Uh, I found Fergie, like Fergalicious. And then now you're saying furry. I don't know. <laughs> furry. Nonsense. It's, it's, all it's furry. furry. <laughs> it's with a D. F-E-R-D-Y. It's with a D. Oh, yeah, go, go fuck themselves with that That's D. what IMDb. <laughs> That's what IMDb says. I don't know. But Okay, so right away when he comes out of the back room carrying uh, an armful of swaths of, of, of fabric and he's wearing his glasses, you know, oh, this is the nerd that that – Allison was set up with because she's supposed to be the nerdy broad, I guess. I don't know. Uh, you don't get a lot from these guys. I, I, I don't know. These guys are so one dimensional. Uh, you got, I, I don't, what do you, what do you think? I mean, they're talking about the party. There is a Greg and Mike are convinced and Ferdy that he has to come to the party. I, I guess it is explained that they are only inviting him because his uncle owns the store. So they know if they invite him that they won't get in trouble. I don't know. All I can say is, I mean, Mike, hot. <laughs> hot. This is a good example of of a game I like to play with any 1980s-based horror film called Cute Guys Bad Hair. It's where you have a group of reasonably attractive men whose overall uh, physical appearance is, I would say, brought down a few notches by the bad hair alone. I mean, all three of these guys, their hair isn't doing anything for me, but their faces are pretty good. I mean, even Greg. I mean, Greg is definitely, like, the least attractive of the three. I'll say Fergalicious is actually quite cute. Like, cute like a button with those little dimples. And talking about dimples, that fucking Mike, I mean, he is hot. Later on, when he's running around with his fucking fly down and everything, I'm like, yeah, I'm all about that. Uh, but yeah, the guys are attractive. They just don't do shit other than complain about fabrics. I kind of want to say Mike was my my gay awakening, to be honest with you, because I saw this movie when I was a kid. Like I, I, I had to have been, you know, not even a not even in double digits as far as age wise when I saw this movie, and I still remember like Mike shirtless. I think is when I knew I was a homosexual little boy. Uh, I, I guarantee it because I, I stuck with me like hot him, him him smacking that gum throughout the whole movie oh those dimples i can't stop i want to sit in those dimples yeah but they really like i mean the guys are interchangeable like uh, they all look similar <laughs> okay well let's let's talk about that let's talk about that all the guys look similar all the fucking girls look similar except that one brunette that shows up linda for some reason linda yeah uh well we haven't got to them yet but he's a welcome addition to any fucking movie russell todd let's just talk about that here for when we get there uh but yeah i mean you got four guys ultimately that look exactly the same all shag haircuts similar <laughs> all shag haircuts all all brunettes Okay, similar builds. And then you got three blondes. Uh -huh. 
Uh, you know, you got Susie. Who's the other blonde one? You got Susie, you got Allison, and you got Leslie. Leslie, she the other. She's the, yes, Leslie with the big she's knockers. Yeah, big old knockers, Leslie. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, not they're all interchangeable. The girls are interchangeable with each other. The guys are interchangeable with each other. Well, and, and you, to be honest with you, Leslie and and well, Barbara Crampton and Susie Snyder, the two actresses, they look very similar to begin with. They do, even down to their bangs. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. But no, so you get the guys. The guys are great. So they're planning this party, and yeah, I mean that's this is the about the extent of the character development that you get. From all the characters, really. I think that it's a bummer, this next sequence that you have that comes up with Linda and Rick, you know, because you mentioned her being the only brunette. I really felt in the hands of a more capable screenwriter that they would have understood that in introducing some of the skill sets that they introduced in the character of Linda, taking this the direction of making Linda the focus and possibly the female lead would have done the story a lot of good. She under, she clearly understands how to like fucking jump a vehicle or whatever the fuck she's doing. Like she's talking about it right away. Later on in the movie, she seems to be the only one who's got her fucking shit together. She's not losing her shit like Susie falling through fucking goddamn air vents and having panic attacks and shit like that. You know, Linda seems to have her shit together. She understands the basics of what's going on. She has some reasonably smart exposition to throw in when needed. Um, and, and she ends up being a character whose outcome is completely disposable. So I really f- was kind of feeling that they might take this the direction of giving her a little more focus. I think it's a shame they do not because both of these characters feel far more like final girl and final boy. Cause he's capable with a fucking shotgun. They really felt like they were going to step up more and were not given the chance to do so. They yes, they are the two. I would say the two most take charge characters of the entire film, and I found it interesting that they, you know, they they they're like the the last ones to come into the film that we're introduced to. But they actually outlive pretty much everybody except who ends up being the final couple. But yeah, both of their both of their death scenes are super disposable. Uh, they just happen so quickly, and it just it's 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 just glossed over really but we get the scene where we're introduced to them and it of course is rick and linda rick is played by russell todd who we all know and love from friday the 13th part two you know stunning stunning man but yeah she they're broken down on the side of the road in their truck and she right away is able to get it started i don't know how i feel about this because it's like hinted at that they just got married right and they just started a business a towing business but yet they are going to a party in a furniture store in a mall with some other, with some teenagers. I don't know. I don't know how I felt about this. Like, I I don't know. Like I get the fact that, okay, you're having a bunch of, uh, mall employees, friends gather in this furniture store for a, for a mall. But I'm sorry, Roger, I cannot buy that a married couple who just opened their own business is going to be like, Oh, it's Friday night. Let's go party in the furniture store in the mall with, you know, Susie and, Big tits. I just don't, I don't get it. I don't buy it. Well, and I understand that Fergalicious's father apparently owns this fucking store, but the, I'm sorry, that's not a, enough reason for these people to avoid, like, being arrested when they're discovered, just hanging out in a closed shopping mall, hanging out, drinking, fucking in a store, like, it ain't no big deal. Like, there's an orgy that's hosted <laughs> In this in this furniture store, and nobody seems to care about it. And like, I mean, are there not? I know there's robot security guards, but there's human ones too. Are there not? Like, come on, these people are dancing, kicking their legs up. Barbara Crampton's kicking them up like no one's business, and then they start fucking in this store. 
Like, did nobody think about like the potential for punishment that might come with this? And did you? It's not even a private store. Okay, at least it, it's fully open. It's fully open, and you got fucking uh, Susie and Fergie sitting there on the couch while everyone's fucking right next to him. At least in Hide and Go Shriek, that f- that furniture store was like three floors tall, so you, they were able to spread out. You got them fucking right on top of each other in this, and nobody's batting an eye about it. Well, they got one of those metal gates that you just can look through. Like, I mean, if a security guard walked by and saw these people, all these people fucking in this store, people are getting arrested. Don't tell me they're not. No, don't tell me they're not. Meanwhile, the city is still under attack by lightning. I just need <laughs> I need to make it clear that this is still an ongoing thing. No one's brought it up. There hasn't been a single news report about it. No one cares that this massive lightning storm, lightning bolts are striking the roads. They're hitting buildings. <laughs> I mean, like it's it's worrisome. People are in danger. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody says. Well, I do. I mean, Rick does question for a second. He's like, do we really have to go to the stupid mall thing? And she's like, oh, come on. It'll be fun. He's like, I don't know. And she does take out a bra. And she's like, oh, well, I guess I won't have a use for this. It's like a white granny bra. It's not lingerie. It looks like my grandma's white bra. She's supposed to. Apparently, it entices him because he floors the fucking truck to get out of there to get to the mall. I'm like, come on. And how are they getting in? The mall was closed. I don't. I don't understand why this outside couple would do this. It makes no fucking sense. Straight men are weak, Troy. Straight men are weak. You and I would not even step foot in that fucking mall. We we know better. We've seen Phantom of the Mall Eric's Revenge. We're not going in any of these malls after hours. Oh my Apparently God. a white a white granny bra is all straight man needs to That would be like a yeah. A guy waving his fruital of white fruital of looms at me and be like, oh, I'd be like, uh, if no. it's the right guy, you know, like, it's like <laughs> meanwhile, I just, meanwhile, this man with binge eating disorder just got back from the buffet and you know, and Marty's dead. So he sees his coworker, Marty's platter of food and proceeds to eat that too. And I'm like, that's a problem. Like, did you not, you just told us that you came back from a buffet and you're eating your coworker's food. So that's inconsiderate. Uh, but so he quickly is surrounded in what is, I think, to be very comedic fashion by these fucking protectors. Like, this is drawn the fuck out. This whole thing of, like, the protectors coming in behind him. He looks over his shoulder. He looks back. Their eyes light up. They, like, look at each other. They're all, like, mumbling amongst each other. <laughs> like, like they really draw this sequence out for not having any kill reveal. This scene is quite the buildup. <laughs> It is. It, it, it's probably, I, and I hate to use this word because it's really even not suspenseful, but I would say in this film, it's probably the most suspenseful scene we get. They do allow it some time to breathe. They, they do allow some tension to build up because he sits at his desk. He's reading the book. Um, behind him are these three protectors. They sort of, they, they come on at different times. And when he hears them, he turns around and looks. And of course they shut off. And it's supposed to be like this big surprise moment because yeah, all of a sudden, when you least expect it, well, he gets a phone call uh, that's that's supposed to be like a jump scare because he's real quiet. Everything's real quiet. And all of a sudden the phone rings and we all jump. Right. But then he sits back down and all of a sudden the, the robot shoots. So not only do they have lasers and sleep darts, but they also like shoot out fucking. What is this like a spike or something? I don't know, but it, it shoots into the back of his neck. I mean, I don't, I still want to know, like when you were building these things to be like security for a mall, why were you giving them weapons? Why were you putting grenades and and laser beams and and high powered machine guns and, and knives and 
all this shit into these things that are just supposed to detain a bad guy. Yeah, well, what do they think is going to happen to this fucking mall? Like, what scale of criminal activity requires fucking laser beams? But here we are. These things are very dangerous. And yeah, and then I, I think they also have like a little wire that like shoots out and like wraps around the guy. Uh, you know, you don't really see exactly what happens, which again, for such a buildup, I was anticipating so much more, especially when inevitably in this movie, you get fucking heads blowing up. Uh, but whatever. It, it's neither here nor there. The scene is kind of disposable. Um, I think there's a lot of moments in this movie that feel like they could have been skimmed skimmed away or cut off, especially when you start to get towards the finale. This thing, it comes off the rails. Like, it's literally just cat and mouse for like a third of the film, which, again, for having such a thin storyline, um, I'm kind of shocked. Like, it goes to show just how basic the storyline actually is. Yeah, well, we do got, we do cut to Susie. Uh, she has convinced Allison. Well, honestly, Allison's dad. She gets off the phone with her dad, and she's like, oh, my dad told me I needed to go have have fun. And Susie's like, great, we're going to go have fun. I'm going to... Sh- and Allison says, well, how, why do I have a feeling I'm going to regret this? And Susie says, I would not hook you up with somebody that, you know, is a scumball and they they head to the furniture store and we get this little fun banter where uh Susie is putting on her trying to try on different lipsticks and stuff like that and it's just like a fun little brief interaction between these two and of course Allison is still concerned about who she's been set up with so now we finally get the party at the furniture store um Ferdy Fergie Ferdy Ferdy is in the bathroom trying to make himself look good you know, he tries all these different styles with his collar. He takes his glasses off. And finally, he just settles on how he looked normally. Doesn't change Which at all. Which was cute as a bud. <laughs> he was, yeah. Then listen to this song, by the way. It's, it's uh, I believe it's called Street Walk. <laughs> it's a, the street walking. Like, <laughs> it's strange selection. Uh, but yeah, like, so this party literally just consists of, I mean, standard montage fare of, People just dance, and we've seen it a million times over. And I wouldn't say this is one of the more standout dancing in a empty store sequences that we've seen in our time. We've certainly seen much better uh, dance montages, uh, but they give us the song "Street Walking," and Barbara Crampton's kicking her legs up. Everyone's having a good time, and they do finally have the moment where they introduce F- Furby, Fergie, Fur, Fur, Fur. They introduce him to Allison. And I will say this is like one of the character moments I do like where like he's obviously smitten with her. She's obviously smitten with him. It's instantaneous. Love at first sight. And then you have this cute little moment between Barbara Compton and Craig where they're like impersonating their introduction because like they have this moment where Allison sees – sees Furby and she's like, hi. And he's like, hi. And then Barbara Crampton turns to Greg and she's like, hi. And he's like, hi. And then they start going back and forth like, hi, 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 until they make out. Um, But it's like the closest you get to like a cute little like character moment between any of these characters. So I'll take it. Uh, It's, it's kind of an endearing little sequence, but you certainly don't get enough of this development between everybody. No, you get the nice reveal of, of, Allison spinning around in her chair and 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 Ferdy seeing her and yeah of course instant instantaneous attraction and you even get this 
sweet instrumental instrumental music that plays to just just in case we didn't as the audience visually see that they're smitten with each other we have to have that musical cue of this trumpet and soft piano playing like oh these two are in love uh yeah and then you literally get a a scene where robot one comes out into the mall and he is like protector one now online calling protector two and protector two comes online protector two on duty on the second floor and then protect they just all come they're all out on the mall now and now we get pretty much just a sex montage <laughs> i mean all these couples are going at it except allison and ferdy who are watching old monster movies on the couch surrounded by all these other couples having sex like literally i mean crampton's got her jugs out so does busty leslie with her melanous breasts i mean these things are out of fucking control everyone's just going to town you can hear the lapping and the licking and the smacking as uh as the two are watching tv on the couch and i just think like oh my god isn't that like horribly uncomfortable like i would never want to just sit and watch movies as people are fucking raw dogging it behind me like (laughs) Find another room. Like, I mean, God, you're in a fucking mall. Can't you just go to another display and try to avoid the rough sex happening behind all of you? But they seem fine with it. And they're just sitting there watching the sci-fi. I mean, obviously they're unfazed because they're falling in love. But it is a really, really awkward scenario when you realize, like, literally this party was simply being hosted so all these people could fuck in the same room together. (laughs) Was that the game plan all along? Like when they sat down and they were like, let's figure out a time that we can sneak into this empty furniture store after hours and utilize the, the beds that people like lay on to test like the texture of the mattresses. Like you're going to just fucking tell me you're going to go and plow it out on that mattress right over there that my grandma might be laying on tomorrow when she goes mattress shopping. Like it just, it seems like a horribly constructed place. There's nowhere else you could run a hotel room. (laughs) I understand it might run you some money, but like, isn't that a little more discreet? Aren't there cameras in this place? Like you're telling me that these people are just coming here and fucking on the beds. Like that's a horrible, that's so unsanitary. Well, did you catch the, I want to go back because we skipped over a a scene, uh, skipped over a scene. Not that it's an important scene, but I, I want to point something out because you mentioned like you wouldn't want to be in a situation where you're having all these people fuck around you. I wouldn't either, but I feel like Greg, the character of Greg has this moment earlier in the film that we glossed over after we're introduced to the guys where Mike is like, I'm going to go uh, meet Leslie. Uh, I'm going to go find Leslie. And he does this like humping motion. Do you remember this? Yeah. And and Greg is like, whoo. I bet you are. And he like looks him up and down. Did you notice that? Like looks him up and down almost like in a sexual way. And then of course, Mike goes and we inter- were introduced to Leslie as she's folding clothes and her dad can blah, blah, blah. We skipped over that. It's not important. But I, I just, when you said that, it made me think of that scene that was really weird. If you notice Greg's reaction to Mike's thrusting his hips, he like looks him up and down. He's like, yeah, I bet you are. And I wonder, I don't know if there was supposed to be some uh, and, and I don't want to throw homosexual uh, over undertones on every fucking movie we watch, but if you go back and watch the scene, you will catch it. Uh, and I'm wondering if it was on purpose or if it was just a director, a direction that they didn't really think about it. It would play off that way. But do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know exactly the moment you're talking about. Um, I mean, I think that, you know, in, especially in this era, like when you think back, there are so many homosexual undertones with everything people did in the 80s the music 
the the hair bands, the style, the you know the cinema, everything was queer. There was there is a weird like uh, fetishization almost of, of queer culture that nobody actually really talked about, but it was always kind of infused in everything. Um, so I think there's so many moments like this, especially now having done this with you for what is going to be three years next week, listeners. Three-year anniversary. Let's also acknowledge that. Um, I mean, you sit me down with any movie from this era, and I'm going to find something with a homosexual undertone for you. Like, it's inevitable. It's just how people interacted then. I, yeah, yeah. And I, like I said, I, I caught it. I caught it. And it's pretty blatant if you go back and watch the film and watch this particular scene. So then when you say that, it's also blatant that greg is the one that set this whole thing up like he is he is the one that set this up so then you start to think oh well maybe he just wanted to see you know his male friends fuck i don't know i don't know it doesn't make any sense that they just chose this place to fuck in front of every other but greg set it up if you if you if you don't believe me go back and watch this scene when mike leaves the furniture store to go leslie and look at the look at the look that greg gives him like I said, I know I'm gay, but I'm not throwing homosexual undertones where they're not deserved. But I really think there is one here. But no, so they all—they're all fucking yeah. And there's this moment where yes, uh, Ferdy and Allison are watching a monster movie, and she gets startled, and he offers to get her some wine, and she's like, "Are you trying to get me drunk, Ferdy?" And he's like, "No, no, no. I just thought you might be thirsty." And he says, "You know." I'll probably be leaving here in an hour. The place is going to be locked up and I'll take you home. And she says, Oh no. How about I stay a little bit longer? And they have this moment where she takes her, his glasses off. So they kiss in the background. You hear the people in the throes of ecstasy. We're screaming. Oh my God. Oh my God. You're the king. You're the You're king. The king. Is he the furniture king? Like the, the owner of the business. That's the name of the store is Furniture King. What a title to bestow upon someone. A very specific thing to compliment during sex. But yeah, very awkward scenario. The whole thing with people fucking in that room together. It's weird. It's very 80s. Very 80s. I guess. Uh, Now we are introduced to this janitor who is mopping up what appears to be like a spilled milkshake or something. And it's co- okay. So there are other people on the mall. You trying to tell me they can't hear this music playing. This mall can't be that big. I'm sorry. It, it's a three story mall, but I'm sorry if there's a store blasting music in an empty mall, you are going to hear it. You are going to hear it. If there's people screaming, you're the king, you're the, fur- you're the furniture king <laughs> during lovemaking. You're going to hear that too. But these security guards, well, first of all, this, this poor fucking janitor being harassed by his coworkers who are drinking on the job, mind you. And this poor guy's just mopping, bitching about life. This poor man from New Jersey looked just fucking cleaning up the spilled milkshake only to be slaughtered <laughs> for doing his job. Yeah. Yeah. His coworkers are leaving and they're razzing him. They're like, don't get locked in again like you did last time. <laughs> uh, and yeah, he's mopping up a mess. And when one of the robots shows up and knocks the mop bucket over. And of course, the janitor, yeah, you clumsy piece of junk, you know. And of course, the um, the robot asks for his ID. Can I see your identification badge, please? He throw he shows the ID to the thing. Of course, it just like sort of ignores it, and then it like shoots out these prongs on the floor around him. And the janitor's like, "What the hell is this? I knew you things. I knew you." Th- things were just pieces of shit. And he raises his mop to like hit the robot with it. And the robot is, 
able to electrocute him with these prongs. So, okay, so now we have another weapon. These things can shoot out electrical prongs, as well as machine guns, lasers, uh, knives, things to rip your throat out. These, I'm, I really believe, I'm starting to believe that there is a conspiracy theory by the people who built the, these things, that they knew these were going to go on a murderous rampage. Why would you give a mall security robot the ability to electrocute somebody? It makes... <laughs> Oh, they need to be held accountable. These things were clearly built for war. Like, these things are built to send onto the battlefield. They have no business being in a public mall. Um, and and the, the thing that really irks me about this moment, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but, like, it specifically knows to ask him for his ID. So it's not like these things are completely, like, fried and just don't understand, like, their basic tasks and responsibilities. It asks for the ID and then it like chooses to like kill anyways. <laughs> like it's it sees the ID and it still fucking electrocutes this man in very comedic animated fashion, mind you. There's several like electrocution scenes in this movie. They're all animated. Um, it is not what I would call effective. It is rather funny. E- even down to like the transitional sequence here after the thing kills this poor Janner and electrocutes him, you have this transitional scene where you have one of the characters say hey smoking is bad for your health like they clearly structured this in a way that it was meant to be kind of like tongue-in-cheek and funny but that's most of the kills in this movie and which is unfortunate there's very few kills in this that aren't approached with like a a pinch of humor so it kind of like takes the like it like takes the wind out of all of it you know like there's only one or two kills in this movie that are genuinely like they're trying to be an effective kill everything else here is like ha 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 like busting a claw through a boob (laughs) in a porn magazine or or cracking a one-liner or animated electrocution effects like i don't know I think this is almost stylized almost in a way to be a horror comedy in a way i don't know if they intentionally did that but it certainly feels that way Definitely, I definitely believe, um, knowing the film's director, uh, Jim Wynorski, I, I definitely believe the the comedy is intentional, but still maybe is not handled in, in a way that translates the best with this particular film. Um, yeah, and like the editing in this death scene is real awkward because the janitor starts like he's electrocuted. He's like shaking violently, moving about, but then you see shots of his feet and you can tell they're not even his feet. It's like a just a dummy that there's no movement in the feet. But then we cut back and his whole body's flailing. And then we cut to the feet again and the feet are, st- are still. So awkward editing choices as well with some of these death scenes. But yeah, so this poor custodian is is murdered. Uh, and like you said, yeah, the, the robots know to ask for ID. They know to follow these procedures, but, but they're going to just kill anyways. Why didn't they ask the two security guards that they killed why didn't they ask for their id i i I don't know does it make a whole lot of consistent sense but back in the store yes leslie is whining because she wants a cigarette she ran out of cigarettes and mike offers to go get her some camel lights that one of the employees has in the register she's like oh you know i only smoke virgin lights uh and he's like what do you want me to do She's like, oh, there's a machine down the hall. So he agrees to go get them, asks for his badge. And then, of course, as he's walking out, she calls his name. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What? She turns around and flashes him her big old veiny melons. And she says, hurry back. These things are breaking this woman's back. (laughs) Like, these fat sacks are 
offensive. I, I, I'm sure there are people out there who find these things appealing, straight men, um, I'm, I'm assuming. Um, but these, these melanous gourds are on full display. And, and I just, I don't, I mean, these shiny areolas stretch, pulled taut over her, just busting out. Like, I'm shocked these things aren't ripping at the seams. They're so fucking big. Good for her, though. I mean, I just feel bad for this woman's spine. Like, to hell, you tell me there ain't scoliosis going on in that back. Like, come on now. Uh, but he's loving them. And I'm sure there's there's people out there who react differently from you and I, Troy. But I dare say this is just not our, our big busty cup of tea. <laughs> well... <laughs> what do you think about these doctors, Troy? You like them? Where... <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about them? I don't know, I don't know what to think about. I mean, they're, they're... imagine smacking them together. <laughs> they seem dangerous. Imagine getting hit in the head with one of them at a high speed, like just like like you turn and one of them like blindsides you across the face. That'd be scarier than any of the kills that happen in this fucking movie. I'll tell you that much. Imagine getting motorboated by those rocks, <laughs> like just bashing your brains in, like oh my god. She's awfully proud of them. Oh, I mean, Lord. I, they don't do anything for me, but um, I, I, I found ba- Barbara Crampton's breasts to be much more demure looking. Big, but not as saggy and flappy as these look. Oh. But yeah. A, a, a beautiful, a, a fine breast <laughs> that Barbara Crampton offers. They're just the right size. If this was Goldilocks, you've got like, oh, you've got one that's too soft. You've got a breast that's too hard. Leslie's, because they're packed to the brim with implants. You're just <laughs> squeezing on them. It feels like you're holding a, a bag of sand, like from the 40-year-old virgin. But then, you know, you got Barbara Crampton's that are just right. When you squeeze those they feel like real boobs and not and not like rubber capsules or whatever the fuck those things are. Uh, Our fans are gonna love this segment where you two gay men sit talking about boobs for twenty minutes. Like just well, when they're on display, they put them on display. We ha- we have to comment on them. Outside of the boobs, we do get Mike shirtless in his tight jeans. So at least they're throwing us that bone. That zipper down, you can see all the way down. Uh, but he goes out into the mall to go to this uh, cigarette machine, just chewing on this gum like a fucking horse. <laughs> I mean, he is just slap. It's like a fucking. I'm serious. Every time he's on screen with this fucking gum. He looks great doing it, but it becomes like, oh my God, director, why didn't you scale this fucking back some? I got to say, of the actors in the film, he probably, oh, I don't know. Do you want to say the best in terms of a film like this? But I, I think he adds little quirks to the character that make him endearing, like little eyebrow raises, little eye rolls, little things that he does that I, I think weren't necessarily necessary, but gives this character some, I don't know, dimension that the others really lack. Uh, and this scene in particular, when he's at the cigarette machine and he thinks that someone's coming behind him and he keeps turning around while chomping that fucking gum. And then he hears the phone ring and it, sh- it startles him and he answers it and rolls his eyes. And he's like, no, Jamal, nobody has any messages for you. He's very endearing. I really wish we would have got some more time with him. But after he answers the call and he turns back around, that fucking robot's there. 
And it's like, can I see your identification badge? Of course he takes it out because he was smart enough to ask Leslie to give him his badge before he left the, the, the furniture store. And he shows the fucking robot his badge. And what does it do? It responds by like throwing its little arms up, almost like crab pinchers. And it's like, rah, rah, pinching its little fingers together. And it goes after him and it shoots him with one of those fucking sleeping darts and he's like you weren't supposed to do that and he falls on the floor and it goes over and rips his fucking throat i well first i have to agree that these things do look like mr krabs from <laughs> spongebob when they get when he gets frustrated <laughs> and throws his little claws up like it's very similar down to the shape of the body by the way very mr krabs yeah i absolutely agree with what you're saying about mike he's the only character that seems like he took any initiative with creating like personalized character quirks um, I think that like if you were going to sit down and be like, this character falls into this trope, he would definitely fall into what would be like the quote unquote douchebag trope. But they, he doesn't have any douchey moments. So because of that, he just reads like he has more charisma than everybody else. Um, I think they're really trying to make him feel cocky. Uh, but he comes off as just confident. And that confident helps here when none of the other characters have any other traits to define them. At least you can look at this guy and be like, oh. He's definitely like the most like self-assured of the group. It is totally a bummer that he's the first to go because he's great to look at. And this whole moment here, like this buildup of him at the cigarette machine, uh, like it's actually quite a nice sequence. There's like a lot of slider movement, like it's gliding past him. There's some really great buildup music. Um, and then, yeah, it ends up with this whole moment where he's confronted by the robot and you don't know exactly what happens. Obviously, this is done on purpose because Leslie does come into play with those big old fat gourds just waddling up on him and finding him dead here in the moment. Um, but I, I would say that uh, the reveal of the body is is definitely not as effective as the buildup to it. Yeah, because, of, of course, Leslie is tired of waiting. So she gets up to go look for Mike and she gets to the cigarette machine and she finds him laying on the ground and she's like, get up, wake up. Uh, bless this girl. She's trying, but she's not the strongest line delivery in, in a moment like this, because there's this moment where she's like, I don't need this shit. And then all of a sudden she grabs him and he, he falls forward. And we see that his throat is indeed slit has been slit from ear to ear. Uh, okay. Effect looks okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's shadowed enough that we don't see, you know, that it might look bad, but from what we do see, it looks pretty great. Of course, she freaks out, screams and takes off running. <laughs> the robot takes off chasing her through the fucking mall. And this is the first time we see that these robots are able to shoot shoot i mean they're sh it's shooting what is it shoot laser beams i don't know what the fuck this is bullets it's shooting her as she's running through the mall the others hear her scream and <laughs> i mean she runs right past the furniture store and and of course one of the laser things hits her in the back and she stops and turns around and screams and the others are watching in horror as it literally blows this girl's head off and let me tell you probably the one of the most memorable head explosions of the 80s oh absolutely and probably the most memorable shot from this film in general like if you're gonna see anything in the form of a gif or a, like you know something celebrating this film it's gonna be this goddamn shot of leslie turning and screaming and her fucking head blowing up and understandably so because up to this point you haven't gotten anything in this film that's been nearly as violent like the, the moment earlier when mike's corpse is revealed and he's got his throat cut it looks unusually rubbery like it really is nothing to like write home about and then you have this moment where you have this fucking massive head explosion jesus christ you know blood splattering all across the glass and everything 
And it's a, it's it's a great scene. It really is. Um, there's very few kills that follow this that live up to this at all over the course of the rest of the movie. But for this moment alone, I have to say, like this is a standout sequence. Um, poor Leslie really does get the fucking worst of it too. I mean, this poor girl's getting shot by these fucking lasers. And yeah, where did these lasers come from? Did lasers like this even exist in the eighties? Who came up with this technology? These purple fucking lasers that these things can shoot out of their little cannons. And here's my issue with the incon. Consistency. Sometimes people are getting hit by these lasers, and they're just like, ah, ugh, you know. And all of a sudden, they're blowing heads up with them. Like, what do they have? Like five levels of power, and like, uh oh, top power. It's going to be the fucking the head explosion laser. You better watch out for that one, because nobody's talking about how inconsistent these fucking robots' powers are. Because here in a moment, they chase them all into the fucking store. It's automatic mayhem. People are screaming. These things are shooting lasers everywhere and they trap them in a closet coming up here but they can't even break through the fucking wooden door that they use to, to trap themselves inside, yet they're still fucking busted through windows and blowing heads up. I mean, I do like the sequence of just the, 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 the all-out mayhem that erupts after Leslie's head is blown off because yeah, all of the the other robot comes down, Protector 2 comes down to, to join the fray and they, they, they blow out the the window of the furniture store and literally go into this furniture store and we get, yeah, a good minute of just chaos as these things are shooting their lasers through the store. We get, we get fucking Ferdy and, and Allison thrown over a couch and crashing into a fucking glass coffee table. We get beds being ex- blown up and feathers flying everywhere, TV screens being blown up before they finally yeah get into this back room. And yeah, once they're in the back room, these things all of a sudden have a hard time even even getting into the door. But what they do do is I guess they unleash the, the, uh, the metal doors that we saw at the beginning, because all of a sudden all the metal doors close throughout the mall and the group even hears the metal doors clanging shut. And Allison's like, what's that noise? And Greg's like, what's that noise? It's us being fucking trapped in here until six o'clock tomorrow morning. So they are in this back room trying to figure out what the fuck to do. The robots are outside. Allison notices that there's a vent, an air vent in the ceiling. And Greg is like, yes, if you guys can get to the, uh, if we can get to the parking garage, we will be home free. So of course they, they pull down the, the vent and the girls start to climb in. And as the last girl gets in the fucking things, break through the door and so the guys have no choice but to take off running they don't get to go into the vent which whoo thank god because they don't have to listen to Susie's fucking bitching the minute they're in the vent this Susie character becomes unbearable unfucking bearable what the fuck happens like i mean she, she has a full-on panic attack she has a breakdown in this goddamn vent oh yeah she is crying bitching moaning she she wants out of this vent I'm sorry, sweetie. I I know you just saw your friend's head be blown off. And can we also comment on the fact that, because I want to start here. Can we comment on the fact that nobody ever has a reaction that I would consider like appropriate to seeing like their friend being killed? Do you know what I mean? They see Leslie's head being blown off and they're like, oh, Okay, like none of them are like freaking out, and it, it it plays into like Susie's reaction here because she's like, "I'm out of this vent. I need to go back down there and help." You just saw these robots blow your friend's head up or head off. You have to know that being in this vent is the safest place, and if you shut your fucking whiny mouth for 
15 minutes and climb to the garage, you'll be fucking safe. But she whines the entire fucking time. Greg needs me. What the fuck are you going to do for Greg? uh, You're worthless. Like you're crying. You're a bumbling. It's too hot in here. I need out of here. I mean, Mitch, you just saw them blow up a ceramic pig with those lasers and you're telling me that you want to go back down there and fucking hang out with those things i mean i think she does mention that they turn the heat up in the vents which is like they're trying to french fry them out there i think is the wording the wording that she uses for it but yeah i mean like girl come on like the last thing you want to do is go back down there like jesus christ but eventually she gets her fucking way because she annoys the other two girls to the point of appeasing her and it is such a sharp contrast like a drastic flip from how she was acting earlier it does feel it almost feels like they're like okay which character do we have have a breakdown let's just pick a name out of thin air you know it doesn't feel like at all considerate of the character that they were writing for up to this point um which again it does make you sit down and look at the script and think holy shit this thing could have been written by a five-year-old um it is so simple (laughs) like it really there the inconsistencies scattered throughout the entire script are just glaring well, yeah, and there's the moment when Linda's trying to console her. Linda's like, come on, Susie, you just got to make it a little bit farther and we'll be... And, she, and uh, Susie's like, you shut up, you bitch. I, I'm getting out of here right now. And of course she does. She kicks the vent back open and she, she gets out. I'm sorry. I might be a horrible friend, but I would not have gone back down there with her. If I was Susie and Linda, my ass would have kept crawling until I got to the fucking parking garage. Because guess what? I just saw my friend's head be blown off. I'm not going back down there with these things that can sh- if Susie's ass wants to go down there, let her. But no, they they follow her. Um, the guys decide they need to get some weapons. So they head to a sporting goods store and they break in. And of course, they're getting guns and shells. Do you notice the sporting goods store has like guns and shells just out on display? They're not locked away. The guns are sitting there on a shelf like M&Ms and the bullets are like right next to them. So like any, like literally the guys are like, oh, here's the bullet. I would think that, I mean, I guess it's the eighties, but I would think that guns and bullets would be a little bit more secure that you could just walk in and start loading a gun from a shelf. But lo and behold, they're doing it. They're doing it. I, I don't know what it is about the eighties and, and gun shops in general, but they're fucking everywhere. You can go, you could go into like a strip mall and there's just a gun store with fucking like ammunition for a goddamn like AK-47 just laying out on the counter for everybody to grab on. And not only that, but these fucking apparently like teenagers or college students, wherever the fuck they are, are completely capable of handling semi-automatic rep- weapons. These guys are just loading them up. They're fucking running around firing at these robots willy-nilly like they have a complete understanding of how to handle these guns if this was you and i troy gentlemen in our mid 30s to early 40s you and i would probably be like like trying to fucking figure out how to put the bullets in the shit and everything we'd have no idea what the fuck we were doing how do these children or at least adults playing children have a, a basic knowledge of how to operate these things again doesn't make any sense I'm going to roll with it. The movie's called Chopping Apparently, Ball. your dad just has to be a Marine, and you automatically know how to fire a gun, because that's that's an, that's an, that's a reasoning that's given here in a minute. Um, but no, they grab all this stuff, and they emerge from the mall, and they get their badass moment where, they, where even you get this dramatic music playing as they emerge from the sporting goods store, each wrapped with machine guns and guns, and even Ferdy's carrying a propane tank. And they get their moment because... Uh, Rick shoots uh, the gun into the air to get the robot's attention. And sure enough, robot number one, protector number one shows up. 
and they have a shootout with this fucking thing and they're shooting it. It's shooting its lasers back. I don't understand how these things somehow can have good enough aim to blow a woman's head off, but then it has five people standing in front of it and it can't hit one of them. They're in a line. Like the men are just standing there in a line and this thing is like shooting between the legs. Like it, it's, it is doing everything, but actually hitting its targets. And understandably these men are able to overwhelm and destroy one of these things uh, quite easily. Like the first robot to go is blown up pretty quickly. Think I think all those goddamn canisters are fucking, kerosene or whatever the fuck those things are like they've got like 40 of them they're all running around with big old canisters blowing shit up uh at least these guys prove themselves to be somewhat capable like right off the get-go right yeah they blow it up they get it close enough to to ferdy is able to roll that propane tank at it and shoot it and it explodes so the guys then after they they shoot this robot they try to go they try to go up to the next level and kind of have to pry the elevator open which comes into play here in a minute where they where they kind of rig the elevator to be a booby trap for one of the robots but the girls Linda and Allison have appeased Susie and they all are down from the vent and Susie thinks she needs to go help Greg who seems to be doing perfectly fine without her help but um Linda sensible Linda is like, if we're going to go, we better take some protection. So she sees some gasoline cans and proceeds to make like Molotov cocktails. These are the biggest, most awkward Molotov cocktails. These jugs of fuel with rags hanging out of them. Like, imagine trying to throw one of those, Troy. You'd have to do like a shot put, like spin and a launch to get that thing to like make any distance at all. But apparently they're throwing them around like it's nobody's fucking business, these goddamn Molotov cocktails. Um, There's also a line definitely worth acknowledgement where after they kill the first protector, the boys run up to it. And like they look down at it, you don't even see like what they're referencing, but like I think it's Fergie's like, "What's that?" And Rick says, "Robot blood." And I'm like, "Do you mean oil?" <laughs> like, like what? Like you don't even see it. So is there like a specialty fluid coming out of this thing? I'm sure it's probably just oil, robot blood. Okay, but yeah, so we're all building up to this big old moment where like. The, the, the teens are waging war on the ro- the remaining robots, the protectors. You got Rick in that fucking elevator getting ready to blow it up. You got the girls running all around, fucking kerosene Molotov cocktails. And, you know, Linda is kind of like keeping the girls like together. This is exactly what I was saying earlier. Like she's kind of like the one calling the shots right now. Like Allison has yet to really bust out her one line about her father being <laughs> in the military or whatever the fuck she says. That's all she's got going for her as to why she knows how to fire a gun. Other than that, it's all Linda all the time making the right calls, calling the shots. And Susie, at this point, I mean, she's just a blubbering fool. She doesn't know what the fuck she's doing. So what the when the inevitable happens here to Susie, it's kind of a relief. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, it, yes. Because, she, uh, the, yeah, the, the point that Susie gets into the vent until she's dispatched she's almost unbearable and it really makes no sense for the scenario that's going on around them i don't buy that Susie would transcend into such uh blabberness stupidity because she did wasn't really portrayed that way but yeah i mean they get out protector one we got to mention the, the robots that the boys think they destroyed actually is not destroyed it, it kind of gets back up and it comes back online and it goes and like hides in the corner so as like the guys are up on the elevator trying to rig it to to make it a booby trap the girls leave and they're out in the mall when protector one that was hiding basically comes out of its hiding place and starts chasing them 
And of course, three girls are running. It's shooting at them. It can't hit any of them. Of course, uh, Susie's screaming her fucking head off. She finally does get shot in the leg by the laser and she falls and she's crawling on the floor. The other two girls are just like watching this. Nobody even actually goes out to try to help her. And as the robot approaches, it says to Susie, thank you. Have a nice day. And it shoots the gas can that she's holding onto and sets her on fire. As the girls just stand there. This is rather intense. It is, but I want to know like, where are the big reactions? Like you're watching your friend because it's painted that, that Susie and Allison were pretty good friends, apparently. And there's virtually no reaction from Allison's character watching Susie be engulfed in flames and burned to death. Like, literally no reaction. You do have a moment, I think, where you see Greg react briefly. Like, if anyone does have a reaction to someone dying, Greg does get affected a little bit uh, by Susie's death to the point that I think it almost is part of the reason why he ends up perishing because he's so fucking distracted by how he feels about all of it. Um, But yeah, I mean, consistently over the course of the film, people's reactions to deaths are completely understated. This is jumping ahead a bit, but when when, uh, Linda dies... After those two die, the reaction from the remaining two survivors, they like look at each other and like smile at each other and like stroke each other's face and like take off running. They don't even take, they don't even acknowledge that two more people have perished. And so it does make it feel for like the heft of when people are lost in this movie, you could give two shits. Again, there nobody in this film really has any uh, importance or value to anybody else. So it does make for a very kind of hollow experience when people are dispatched. But Susie's death, I will say, in the sense of like drawn out like pain factor like yes um leslie's death was the most memorable that head explosion but this sequence i think you know seeing this woman literally like waddling around burning alive until she drops to the ground you could hear her screaming through all of it i actually think is a rather effective moment in the sense of just having to watch a woman cook to death as her flesh is being burned off like it's it's rather intense it's all from a distance you don't see any of the actual gore but you don't need to. I mean, you're literally watching a woman burn to death. It's pretty wild. Well, and you can, yeah. And like you mentioned, you can, you can hear the screams, which makes it that much more painful to, to watch. I just wish her friends would have acted a little bit concerned about what was happening to her. Of course, the guys hear her screaming and they show up and, and, and of course, Greg is like, Susie, and he starts shooting at the robot and they, they, they let it chase them into the elevator And when they get it into the elevator, Greg is able to get out of the top of the elevator, put the propane tanks on there, and he jumps from the elevator onto the the ledge, all safe. And then you get this scene of this group trying to shoot the propane tanks, and none of them can hit the propane tanks on top of the the elevator until Susie grabs the gun from Ferdy and shoots and hits it the first time. And it blows up, blows the elevator up. So one of the uh, robots is actually really dead this time. And Ferdy's like, Oh my God, nice shot. And she's like, yeah, my dad's Marine. This is the only moment with Allison where you get any kind of exposition is why she's capable of doing anything. But up to this point, she hasn't proven herself to be capable. Like out of nowhere, Allison takes a gun and manages to like operate it. And people are like, Oh wow. Where'd that come from? She's like, my dad's a Marine. You've had no setup for this at all leading up to this point. So, like, it does feel completely out of fucking nowhere with this character. And it doesn't seem like she's really that capable. I mean, like, yes, she is the last one standing. Yes, Allison is able to defend herself against the final robot. But it's not like 
it's not like she's making like the best choices. She's kind of just like in survival mode, fucking hiding under animal displays and shit. Like, you know, she's not really doing shit, uh, but apparently she seems to be the most capable one out of the group out of nowhere. And like at this point, I'll just roll with it because again, this is chopping. Well, they go into a storage room and of course, Greg confronts the girls about why they left the shaft. He's like, you should have stayed in there. You should have kept her in there. You were safe. And Allison says, well, she just wanted to come see you. And he's like, yeah, but you should have, you should have known better. And he tells Ferdy because Ferdy's like, Hey, she gave you the explanation. Leave her alone. And Greg says, shut the fuck up. And so he's kind of losing it himself. Uh, but Ferdy has the idea that the master computer is on the third level, should be on the third level. And if they f- can find that computer and shut it down, then it should shut the robots down. Greg agrees. He's like, yeah, let's go trash that motherfucker. So they leave the um, the storage room and Greg immediately takes off running like a fucking banshee as the others can't even keep up with them. And he gets to the top of the escalator and like out of fucking nowhere, this robot grabs Greg from behind and throws him over the ledge of the three story mall to his death below on the, the ground. What a lackluster death for this character. I know he is so, I mean, he's been a pretty, ah, I mean, none of these characters are prominent, but I mean, he's, he's take charge. He's the one that's, that wanted to have the party. He's the one that gets into the, and all, he's just thrown over the ledge. And of course the others are like, Oh, 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 darn poor Greg. And they just move on with what they're doing. You're going to tell me that he didn't fucking see or hear this thing come like rolling up on him. Like literally like he's taken by surprise at the top of the escalator. Like he gets up to the top, he calls down, he turns around and all of a sudden there's a fucking, protector just grabbing him and throwing him but like you're telling me you didn't see this thing coming from a mile away these things are like three foot five and fucking go beep beep boop and they're making zooming noises they got little fucking tracks on their wheels and everything like you don't this thing is not stealthy like this thing has lasers in it but it's not stealthy and you're being taken by surprise by it you earned that death i'm sorry you deserve to die <laughs> like you walked right into it yeah yeah and again a lackluster death he's thrown over the edge okay big fucking deal uh, but the guys in this film have all lackluster deaths for the most part. It's the girls that get the... Everyone else for the rest of this film has a lackluster death. Like, like think about who's left. Like, there's not... We've had the two big kills, which are Leslie and Susie's. Those are the two standouts. Everybody else moving forward are honestly comedic. Like, like this death was really, like, out of fucking nowhere, and it feels like a waste. And now, pretty soon, you're gonna have two more deaths that feel very disposable. Um, and then the other one's a fake-out. Yeah, they... Uh, so the remaining four take off running. They get into another store as the robots give chase. And there is a moment where Allison gets shot in the arm. Um, but they are in this store behind the metal door, feeling they're safe. But we do see that the robots are lasering their way through the door. And Allison at this moment, for some fucking reason, I don't know what the motivation for her character to do. She wants to split up. She's like, maybe we should split up. And of course, Ferdy shoots it down right away. He's like, that's a dumb idea. Of course it is. Why would you want to split up? I don't, I don't know. Um, But they do stay in the store for a bit until the robots finally laser their way through. And Allison sees store mannequins and she's like, if they went targets, let, let's give them targets. So they set up some uh, mannequins at the front of the store and they hide behind them and they have a shootout with the robots. I've been working with a lot of mannequins on the set of meat and this almost gave me some PTSD because I literally had a set piece of mannequins for three days straight and they're just haunting me. They're haunting my nightmares. So yeah, all these fucking mannequins lined up. 
they've got this whole like kind of shooting range thing where I think they're trying to kind of like distract the protectors into shooting what is the the reflection of the glass so that the laser shoots back at them. Obviously, that's the goal here. Uh, it does not go as planned. I will say that several people do die here. Uh, it seems like a pretty poorly executed plan, um, though I will say that the people that are about to perish, I, I do not think deserve this lame of a death. This is so stupid. These two deaths are so fucking stupid. They're having the shootout with the robot. They they get the best of the robot, and the robot uh, basically goes into this mode where it just starts spinning around in a circle, and it's 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 electrocuting itself, and it's just spinning around shooting shit. And Linda, the, the group is running away from the store now. Rick is behind them. He's still shooting the robot. Linda, Ferdy, and Allison are out front. Well, Linda's stops to turn around to check on Rick and is like, Rick, where are you? And the robot shoots her in the fucking stomach and she's dead. Like literally she's dead. Her, her last line is Rick, watch out. And she gets shot in the stomach and she falls. Well, Rick sees this. He's like, Linda. and what does he do? He hops on this fucking cart thing and rides right into the fucking robot as it's electrocuting. And he's electrocuted himself. I mean, it's fucking lackluster, stupid. I mean, at this point, they just had to have been like rushing through. They're like, oh, okay, we, we, we can't make this film 80 minutes because people don't want to sit here for 80 minutes. Let's, we have to stay 75 minutes, kill these two, and let's move on. I mean, it's so lackluster. I, I, I will honestly say that I have a note that matches basically exactly what you said. The final 10 to 15 minutes of this movie feel like they had, had gone through either like a massive script rewrite or realize that they had to shave some time off or something. It goes so off the rails that like, I feel like they're not even working off of a script. Like Linda's death here is so unceremonious. And as mentioned before, like she kind of was like the only character that had an element of reason to her at times. So for her to just be dispatched like this in such like blase fashion and for her, for him, you know, for her partner to be killed pretty much in the same way with that goddamn fucking animated electricity. If I see any more of that fucking cartoon electricity, I'm going to lose my fucking shit. It's all over this goddamn movie. Robots spinning around, little arms up in the air, fucking electrocuted. It's just, it's so unceremonious and it's so disposable. And, and it's really a bummer because these are two characters that did contribute something overall to the other characters' survivals. Um, and now you're left with fucking Kelly Maroney and that goddamn bad hair and, and fucking Fergalicious. And these two, like, okay, so her dad, her dad's the former military. I get it. She can handle a gun. I really don't feel like all that interested or invested in seeing these two fighting against killer robots for the remainder of the film. But this is like what we're left with. So I do think that this, now the final chunk of the movie does kind of spiral into just like, nonsense like there really is not like a there, there's no storyline holding it together it's just kelly maroney getting chased by robots and fighting back but like it feels like they're like okay we've got this store we've got the pet store we got another store what can we do in there how do we get her from point a to point b to point c let's call it a day and wrap it up yeah yeah i mean i at the start of the film let me I'll, I'll just put it out there these two would not be the ones that i would choose to like want to follow through the whole movie but w we have no choice i will say that what what rick did by driving into the robot was he caused his own death dumb fucker but he also blows up the robot the robot finally blows up so that means there's only one robot left right because two of them have been killed. One was on the elevator and this one that just got blown up. So Ferdy and Allison, they, they, they run off and they decide they're going to look for this computer. And of course, again, Allison's like, we should split up. 
I don't know what this bitch's deal with splitting up is because it doesn't end well. It ends exactly how you would think it does. And then she becomes like this screaming helpless little bitch. And you're like, you're the one that wanted to, to split up, Miss Allison. And now you're yelling for your man to come and help you because you got yourself in hot shit for wanting to split up. Because what happens is she's wandering through the mall and, you know, she hears something behind the door and she grabs a pipe. I'm like, what are you going to do with a pipe against a robot that shoots laser beams from its fucking head? She literally grabs a pipe. She opens it. It's just junk that falls out of this door. You know, she she continues into this room. She's searching around, trying to find the computer. And out of nowhere, I mean, there's no suspense. This robot wheels up right behind her, starts to activate its little crab claws and starts to like go towards her. And of course, she has nothing she can do. She doesn't hit it with the pipe. She just stands there screaming for Ferdy to come save her. This thing, again, the stealth on these things is impressive. I mean, how does she not notice this this fucking robot just wheeling up behind her? And it is not subtle or discreet in any way, but somehow she's taken by surprise. Uh, and, and then these things are so quick to blow up everybody else's head, but with her, it's sure taking its fucking time, just rolling on up by her big old hair as she's screaming her head off. Well, yeah, that's another thing. I have that note too. Why did it... Why is it taking its time? Ferdy is really, literally, Ferdy is literally halfway across the mall and he has time to run to her as this robot just, all it's doing is standing in front of her going, doing its little claw. Like, why isn't it blowing her fucking head off? But Ferdy gets there, he shoots it in its face and it has a malfunction. It basically chases him into the mall. And so you could say, well, uh, well, Allison is at fault for what happens to Ferdy because he is basically dispatched, so we think, but chases him in the mall. He throws a gun at it. He pulls the fire extinguisher off the wall, throws the fire extinguisher at this thing. All along, all, all this time, Allison is nowhere to be found. She's <laughs> She is hiding. But the um, robot takes the fire extinguisher and launches it back at Ferdy at full force, causing him to fall back and smash his head onto the... Uh, the mall floor and he even goes over and looks at him and we see a big old pool of blood pooling from Ferdy's head and the robot says thank you have a nice day they, they play it off like this is his death let's be clear it is not because it is such a fucking lame moment that if this would have been his death I would have been genuinely irate with this being the outcome yeah well yeah we kind of you can kind of figure it's not his death they do try to play it out but I, I, like I said, it's Allison's fault and she's nowhere to be found. She does take off running from after she sees what happens to Ferdy. She's like, oh, oh no. And of course, chasing her through the mall. And what, what store does this bitch think is the best to hide in from these robots that, sh- that are killer robots that have no you know, sense of life, right or wrong? Of all the stores to break into, she breaks into the pet store where there are live animals. I don't to to allow this robot to come into this pet store and like knock tanks of animals over and kittens and and all that like uh, what I'm sorry she brings this on herself she runs into this fucking pet store and it's not even she like tries to hide herself someplace you know discreetly like she's right out in the open she's like under like a bench this robot if this robot doesn't have a heat sensor on it. I'm fucking shocked because it's got laser beams in its head, but somehow it manages to not detect the woman in right there in the open. Just she's like laying right there on the floor. The, this robot definitely has to see her, but somehow it doesn't. But it's knocking over cases of tarantulas and snakes. This poor Kelly Maroney 
with the bad haircut is hiding under this bench covered in snakes and tarantulas. <laughs> like, like this is the worst predicament she's put herself into yet. She completely brought it on herself. Then she, I think she steps on a cat at one point. She steps, she steps, she steps and you hear, Rawr! like, I mean, it causes her to scream. Like, this sounds like a horrible idea. She she definitely made the wrong call going in the pet store. I'm guessing it's the only location that they had. I really thought they were going to blow up some of those puppies in those cases. Like, I was waiting for the robot to be like, I detect a living thing. And you see, like, the puppies just explode. Oh, God, I would have been so pissed off. Yeah, it does. Well, I was pissed off because she, yeah, she causes these, you know, creatures to be misplaced from their cages as the robots just going through the pet store like a bull in a china shop knocking shit over and when the robot leaves she crawls out yeah she's covered in snakes she's covered in tarantulas i'm sorry i get it you don't like spiders whatever but these things were not hurting you they were minding their own business until you decided to uh bust in to hide but i don't know if you noticed but when she gets up out of from under the 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 shelf she actually steps on and crushes one of the tarantulas and i'm like you fucking bitch does she really step on one of the tarantulas yeah you hear it go you hear it crunch under her foot i'm like why would you know kelly maroney i know i'm like you bitch like you literally could have left that thing alone but she gets out of the pet store yeah and she's walking through a cat a kitten like jumps out and scares her she takes off running and the robots chasing her and she finds that it is a good idea to hide by literally climbing over the edge of the third story and hanging onto the banister. Even though if you notice, like there is like this encircled, I don't know if you want to call it like a help desk thing that looks like it's completely surrounded by, it's a round cubicle. It's like three feet away from her that all she had to do is crawl behind there and hide, but she finds it's easier to hang over the ledge of the banister. And of course, what ends up happening is she loses her grip because this thing is the robot's there. It's not leaving. And she falls onto a tent below. This woman would have died from that drop. Like, I mean, she plummets. Like, she falls like a sack of potatoes. Like, I'd say three stories. And I, you're not telling me that goddamn fucking tent is breaking her fall. It's breaking her back. Yeah. Well, she lands on like, it looks like it's a guitar case or something hard. Well, she, she has to crawl. She's crawling away and she, she, um, she realizes there's something in her pants and she takes it out and we see it's a flare because when they were in that shop, when they were getting, when they got the gasoline cans for the Molotov cocktails, she saw a display of flares and she took one and put it in her pants. Well, she sees it and she sees she's in front of the paint store. So what does she do? She gets up. I don't know how easy this would be, Roger, but they make it look pretty easy. She's able to bust the the glass door of the paint <laughs> with her body. But she walks through. <laughs> she literally, she doesn't even take a running start. She just, she like braces herself and she steps through a plate glass door. I was like, holy shit. Is this woman made of steel? Like, <laughs> That's not how this thing works. Also, also, she's got that goddamn flare that's the size of a baby's arm, di- discreetly hidden in her brazier, the length of the movie. How do you, how do you forget that? That thing is so, so big. But okay, but yeah, that fucking that glass door sequence. Like, come on, how thin is that? How thin is that glass? Is it like tissue paper? She, she oh literally she, she pulls her shirt over her head. You know, to pretend, just like walks into it and it shatters. She takes a slow, hesitant step through a glass door and she just, it crumbles around her. But okay, we're at the finale. So I guess we're supposed to just buy it. She gets into the paint shop and she proceeds to 
open all of the paint cans that she can and just pour a big old puddle of paint in the middle of the store along with uh, primer and everything. She screams like for the robot to come. She's like, come on, you motherfucker. And it literally like breaks through the glass itself and comes right at her. But it gets stuck in the paint. Like it's stuck in the paint. It can't move because the paint is all slimy and it can't, it can't move. It's just spinning around. And she leaves the paint store, gets the flare. And she's like, Hey, have a nice day. And throws the flare into the paint shop. Of course, blowing up the paint store and the robot. The, the flare blows up on impact. It's not like it starts a fire. The thing starts to burn. And then as it burns, it blows up because like a fuel tank or something. No, no. The flare hits the ground and immediately without warning explodes in a ball of fire. Like, again, this is not how these things work. I don't think paint burns like that. Uh, but apparently it's it's a big to-do. The thing goes up in flames. Kelly Maroney is laying there just fucking weathered. Oh, my God. She's been through so much. Uh, she just lay in there hobbling, dragging herself along the floor. Um, it really does feel like this, to be the outcome of how these things are defeated, it really feels like she just pulled this out of her ass. Literally, she did. She pulled that fucking flare right out of her ass cheeks. I mean, that thing was hidden <laughs> somewhere. I mean, she had to have it up her hoo-hoo-ha. That thing is so big because I don't know how she was keeping that discreetly hidden. But um, yeah, I guess this is how you defeat the robots. I mean, they're dead now, I guess. They're, they're all dead. The robot's a big pile of junk and she's, yeah, she's on the ground. She sees its little claw arm laying next to her. So its arm has got blown off and she gets up and she starts um, limping away in dramatic fashion. When all of a sudden we hear a voice call out, Hey, nice shot. And it's Ferdy and he's up there holding a roll of toilet paper on his, I'm sorry. Did you see the amount of blood that was on the floor? Oh my God, he he's definitely about to die from blood loss, but he's standing up there beaming, smiling. And I'd be like, you motherfucker, you let me get through all of that before you revealed yourself to be alive? Go fuck yourself. You've got guns up there. There's like 500 guns. You guys cleared that gun store out. You couldn't have taken aim from a distance and tried to help me? Oh my God, but no, you're fucking bleeding out <laughs> on that roll of toilet paper. That roll of toilet paper, by the way, is drenched in blood. Like he should be dead. Um, but it ends on this like light positive positive note. And you know what really shocks me here, Troy, is I mean, every movie from this era has a moment where, like, the killer comes back, you know, where you, like, you see, like, lo and behold, he's still kicking somehow, some way. You're gonna tell me in this movie where you have three fucking killer robots that you're just gonna, like, have one of them blow up in flames and that's it. Like, there's no, like, final hurrah moment. You're not gonna have one of them, like, come out of the, come out of the fire on fire, little claws grabbing and shooting lasers out one last big hoo-ha before they finally defeat it. Nope. Like, everything's fine. Kelly Maroney managed to blow up that fucking robot with paint. <laughs> and that's it. Like, that's that. And I'm telling you right now, Troy, say what you want to say. Kelly Maroney better be lawyering her ass up because you're this girl just was hanging out in a mall without permission, hanging out on private property after hours. She just blew up a pet store. She just <laughs> blew up a paint shop. I mean, like half this mall is burning all these robots. I mean, I know there's problems with the lightning and the robots. That is definitely something that needs to be acknowledged, but she's still going to have quite the case against her for trespassing on private property and causing so much destruction. 
Oh, well, there was that. Oh, we forgot. There was that moment where Linda, remember Linda? She's like, if we get out of this, we're going to be, we're going to be indebted to this place for uh, 86 years. Oh yeah. And Rick's like, yeah. And Rick's like, how many oil changes is that? Maybe we should raise our, so they even know that they're, they're in the wrong. I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, but it ends on a sweet note because they go and hug each other. And yeah, there's no last hurrah. Like I would have loved this scene as they were hugging both of their heads being blown off by the robot that comes, but nope, it's, it ends on a sweet note and that's it. That's, that is chopping mall folks. A, a, like I said at the beginning, a lean, lean, mean 75 minute machine. This film is quick. I mean, it is, it is quick. Pacing is fast paced. And again, that's a detriment in some respects because of the characters, but um, it's entertaining as hell. Like I qualms aside, I understand why this film has the following. It does. I totally get it. Um, The robots have so much personality. Uh, The death scenes are most of them. Well, two of them (laughs) are fun, but you know, this is a film that it doesn't wear out. It's welcome. You know, you can pick it apart. We, we did pick apart some of the stupid things with this film, but at the end of the day, you can just sit back and you're just entertained as fuck entertained. And you know, the eighties had that sort of robot moment where we remember short circuit with Ali Sheedy. You know, you had this. Oh, oh I know. Oh, oh, we'll be reviewing that one. <laughs> I mean, that's not even a horror movie, but I fucking love Short Circuit. Johnny Five is alive. So there was there was this <laughs> moment in the '80s with robots coming to life, and this, you know, this is fun. Um, I, I yeah, I, I don't. This film is so fun. I see why. I will always understand why this film has the following that it does. And it has the adoration that it does because it is just at the end of the day, I'm just going to say it. It's just stupid fun. And sometimes that's all you need in a horror movie is stupid fun. And this is the definition of stupid fun. Yeah. I mean, let us be clear. This is not a good movie. In any regard, um, but it is a very fun one, and and this movie is not going to be winning awards for its script or its performances. But what it is going to do is going to blow up a woman's head right in front of your eyes. I mean, it's going to give you that much right there. And what it is going to do? It's going to burn Barbara Crampton to a fucking crisp, and you're going to watch it. I mean, you're going to get that. You're going to get those little robots with those alarms. Yes, I mean, I'm shocked this did not get a, a sequel. It is one of the few that did not get a follow up, and I do feel like. There's so much room to expand upon these things. There's so much that is not explored in this script to a severe extreme. I mean, like, there's barely a story. It is threadbare. Uh, but somehow, some way, it did not get a sequel. Was this movie, when it came out, was it financially successful? Like, I really, I don't know that much about how it did in the box office. What do you know about it? Um, you know, I don't know. I, I did this. Get, yeah, this did get a theatrical release, I think. at least At least a very small theatrical release. I, I would assume that it had to make a killing on home video. Uh, I see just IMDb here real quick that its budget was 800,000. I, I don't know how much it made, but that's, I mean, that's a small enough budget that I think it probably has made that over on home video rentals and sales probably fivefold because it, it is a well-known film, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, it's it's definitely a film that has quite a fan base. I mean, that fucking poster with that fucking little robotic arm holding that bag again has no relevance to the actual film whatsoever. It has nothing to do with what happens in it. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, this this is a title that uh, has a devoted fan base, and yeah, I completely see why. 
I, I, I get it. Like you just said, I get the allure. I get what, what draws you in. If you want something light, that's not going to make you think a lot. If you're, if you want to sit down and watch a movie, that's going to go by real fast and give you the entertainment factor without any form of thought or effort put into, uh, you know, trying to figure shit out or explain things like you just go into this stoned out of your fucking gourd. I mean, you could be so fucking stoned and this movie would just be the perfect, the perfect way to pass an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. And you know what? There was a proposed remake as well. Um, back in 2011, a, a company acquired the rights to it and they intended to make the, to remake the film with a supernatural twist. But yeah, nothing's come up. Come on I now. Know. You're what give me lightning bolts or give me nothing <laughs> at all. <laughs> a supernatural twist. Who? Who's Kelly Maroney? Is she possessing the robots? <laughs> on the death of Kelly on the one year anniversary of the death of Kelly Maroney, her spirit possesses three shopping mall robots. Like where would you go with a supernatural twist? I don't know. Shopping mall. But something else interesting I'm seeing is the original cut of the film was called Killbots, and it ran for ninety-five minutes. So literally almost 20, 20 minutes longer than this a cut that is that we see now. And it says it's because test screenings were significantly poorly received. I'm a, what, what do they cut out full characters? Do they cut out full story arcs? Was there a, a whole other mall that we didn't even get introduced to? I'd be curious. 20 to, minutes. I'd be curious to see what those 20 minutes were, honestly. Yeah. Uh, tell me those aren't available. I don't know, but guys, um, shopping mall just in time for for back to school season, I guess. Get your back to school shopping done at at this Plaza Parks Mall with these security robots that are decked out in state of the art war like <laughs> defense mechanisms. But uh, yeah, so I'm glad we covered this, Roger, because I'm going to tell you what we when we started this podcast three fucking years ago. Now, this was one of the movies that, like, I want to say, like. I kind of wanted to start the podcast for to, to talk about Chopping Mall because it's just like you said, it's a quintessential like 80s just time capsule. And I'm glad three years into our podcast, we're finally getting around to it. I can cross it off my list of films I wanted to cover. But yeah, a blast. Like I said, a blast. Stupid fun. Stupid fun. That's all you can ask for. Yeah. Yeah. Which I will say like without actually giving anything away. I will say that our next title that we'll be covering is not what I would call stupid fun. <laughs> I will say our next title is A, Troy and I getting to dip our toes back into some LGBTQ material because we didn't get to give Pride Month a proper go uh, simply because I was away filming meat. Uh, but we are going to be touching on a title that is very queer and it is certainly thought-provoking. I mean, the next title we're going to cover is not what I would call light fair at all. It is definitely something that's going to get your brains uh, uh, probably moving and shaking and make you feel things that chopping mall simply could not provoke out of you. It's certainly a divisive film. That is for dang sure. People either really love the film or they really despise the film because of the choice it made with its ending. And that's all I'll say. We'll, we'll leave it as a surprise for you. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, I, I'm glad we are going to be able to discuss the LGBTQ aspect of the film we're covering next week because yeah, pride month, we started out with death drop gorgeous. And then I ended the the month with being able to talk about a hardened lesbian 
uh, predator in, in night school that me and Aaron had a blast discussing that I totally came out of left field for me. But uh, yeah, so I'm excited for, for our next film, guys. So stay tuned. It will be soon. And again, please do us a favor. Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash dark night of the podcast. 60 episodes, guys. That is probably a hundred and... 10 hours of, of content that you can sink your, sink your teeth into, or give us a five-star rating on Apple podcast. If you enjoy the show and you're a weekly listener, that would help us out quite a bit with getting people to discover the show and, 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 and whatnot. So, and of course, as always, let us know your thoughts on chopping mall. I do need to let you know real fast, Troy, that I did just I, I kind of did a quick deep dive into the cutscenes of the movie. And I just want you to know real quick that there was an additional scene for Paul and Mary, the bland characters, uh, where they were sneaking back into the mall and were uh, going to be killed and uh, cut up and served in the restaurant or something along those lines. Uh, I am offended that that was not given to us. How fucking dare they? So the robots were chefs too. They they cut people up and serve them in restaurants. These robots are. I would. I need to see this. I need to see. This. Oh wait, no. They're sneaking. Wait, the scene. Here's the scene. The additional scene featured Paul and Mary tried to sneak a horse into a mall after hours with the premise that the horse was going to be cut up and served at the restaurant. What? Give me that fucking scene. Give me that <laughs> a, a live horse. I imagine that it's along the lines of the cell where the the horse is completely split apart. It's like a very graphic scene. Okay, so let me get this straight. They they were they were sneaking a live horse into I mean. the restaurant. Here's what I mean. The additional scene was to feature Paul and Barry try to sneak an old horse into the mall after hours, with the premise being that the horse was going to be cut up and served at their restaurant. The scene was never shot. Because Roger Corman was not going to shell out money to bring a horse in. So Paul and Mary got to avoid the death by kill bot. There's an entire special feature segment that devotes itself to this lost scene. How dare they? How fucking dare they not give us that horse scene? Uh, I'd rather see a horse scene than those big old veiny boobs that we had to be subjected to. Oh. oh, okay. Well, a chopping mall is going to leave us lead us down a rabbit hole for weeks, I think. Uh, but guys, let us know your thoughts on chopping mall, and we promise we'll be back next week with a much more deeper. I think it's going to be a, a interesting, serious, thought provoking discussion because yeah, the film we're choosing. So stay tuned. And again, guys, give Rogers some love for for being back. Welcome him back in the comments. We love to have him back. It's we're back. We hope we this episode was a great one to to, to have him back with to, to introduce him being back from meat. Yes, thank you. And with that said, guys, we will see you next week. Goodbye. Good night. Thank you. Have a nice day.